Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're doing one that I didn't think we'd be covering, but went and saw it, loved it, and was like, we got to fit something in because this movie is just too good to really pass up. We were talking about The Art of Self-Defense from writer-director Riley Stearns, starring Jesse Eisenberg as a guy, a a mild-mannered guy who uh, he gets beat up after work one day and his life is kind of falling apart and he decides to take up karate and things go in very strange, dark directions from there. Uh, With me to talk about it is film critic Josh Bell from the other podcast that I produce, Awesome Movie Year. And uh, we got a great conversation for you guys. Lots of lots of great puzzle pieces. And uh, like I said, you should go watch this movie because it is a great one. So uh, before we get into that conversation, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice, and you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. So, hey, why don't we just get into this one, all right? We had, this is the third of three episodes this week. That's a lot of Piecing It Together. And if you've been listening to all these, then you've heard my opening spiel a lot, so let's just get into it. <laughs> All right, so back with us today, we've got Josh Bell. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm uh, I, I I'm on a Quentin Tarantino kick right now. But first, before we get to that movie, we're going to talk about the art of self defense. We so, are. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about Quentin Tarantino in it, this one. It might come up. Yeah, it could. I, it's very possible. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, th- this one, I, I had posted on Twitter that. Uh, you know, maybe we should try to make an episode on this happen. And you you messaged me and said, hey, I'd do it. Yeah, I jumped uh, on it because I really liked this movie. And I had been looking forward to it for a while. I liked the director's first movie, uh, Faults. Which from, I did not see. And it's which is different. This movie is a lot more comedic and mm-hmm. Faults is a lot more serious, but sure. very, very well acted. And uh, so, yeah, I was looking forward to seeing this. And I had gotten a screener in advance because I wanted to be able to talk about it on my TV segment and give it a bit of a plug. And mm. I really liked it. I mean, I know we maybe usually wait until the end to say, but I, I will say that that I like this movie quite a bit. It's one of my top 10 movies of the year at this point. Nice. And uh, I was happy that you had seen it because I'm not sure how much promotion it's getting. Yeah, I was actually surprised that it got like as wide a release as it seems to have. Yeah, it's uh, maybe not 
warranting that in terms of its box <laughs> yeah, office unfortunately yeah yeah i don't know if people know what to make of something like this but yeah i mean obviously I, people like us liked it though right it's it's something that the people who are interested in this kind of thing i think will really like but mm. it is surprising to me that it got a 500 plus screen release yeah. or whatever including three theaters here in Vegas. I'm glad um, when it happens, though. Yeah. Made it, I made it easier for me to see. There you go. Yeah, I watched <laughs> it at home, but were there people in the theater when you went to there see it? There was, and I will say, um, they were into it. Oh, I good. mean, there was a lot of laughter at yeah. all of the, like, the weirdest, most awkward parts. People were into it and, like, really right. laughing, so... Uh, hopefully it gets a little word of mouth. I guess we'll see after this week. But... Yeah, I hope so, too. I'm glad yeah. to hear that, that people... Uh, are going to the theater to see movies like this. I definitely. I went to see Wild Rose a week or so ago, and uh, almost my friend and I were almost the only people. <laughs> there was one other person who showed up right as it started. Yeah, but uh, Jesse Buckley's biggest fan was just in the corner there, yeah, just cheering, something like that. But that's more of what I expect when going to see movies like that here. Yeah. so that's good to hear. So before we get into puzzle pieces, an important question: Did you do karate as a kid? I did not. Oh, I am okay. the least athletic person in the world, mm. and uh, karate was not my thing. I think my parents did force me to do some athletic activities. <laughs> yes, uh, as did I. <laughs> and I did not choose karate. I remember my younger brother did karate when he was a kid. I remember by that time I was like a teenager, and I remember having to get dragged to wait for him mm. at his... Uh, karate lessons when we lived in Southern California and one of his karate classmates was Frankie Valley's son. So that is my <laughs> strongest memory of childhood karate is my mom pointing out Frankie Valley sitting waiting for his son to finish karate class. That's pretty cool. I like that story. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my, my mom forced me to do it for a couple of years. I never made it past white belt. So I guess uh, not even the yellow belt. No, no, no. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I, but... was, I was as unathletic as humanly possible. <laughs> you didn't break a board? So. I did break a board. Oh, okay. My mom still has it. It's at wow. her house. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's jump in. What do you got for your first puzzle piece? Well, my first one is uh, probably the most obvious uh, one I've seen referenced in many, many reviews of this movie, uh, but which I think is accurate, is Fight Club. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to being accurate, I think it's also one of my absolute favorite movies. And I think seeing mm -hmm. comparisons to Fight Club before I watched this movie was one thing that made me think, oh, I want to see this sure. because I love Fight Club and I like that kind of uh, satire and the, the deconstruction of masculinity and what yeah. makes a quote unquote real man. <laughs> uh, I think Fight Club did an amazing job of that. And of course, the thing with Fight Club is that a lot of people who saw Fight Club took it at face value, which sure. of course was not the intention. Uh, and this movie is a lot more comedic than Fight Club. I think it would be hard to come away from this movie thinking that it is pro-sensei, uh, right, right. Alessandro Nivola's character, whereas you could come out of Fight Club and misconstrue that it is trying to endorse the antics of uh, Project Mayhem and, yeah. and Edward Norton and Brad Pitt in that movie. I feel like Sensei probably watched Fight Club and loved it and <laughs> yes. for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You could, yeah, you could see this movie as in a way a response not only to Fight Club, but to the people who loved Fight Club and yeah. who took Fight Club way too seriously. Um, but I think Fight Club is brilliant in the way that it satirizes and also sympathizes with these men who feel lost and don't know how to be men and latch on to the wrong thing. Yeah. This expression of violence as a way to 
take back their power and their individuality. And I think Art of Self-Defense does the same thing in that Jesse Eisenberg's character latches on to the wrong thing, that he reaches yeah. out for anything that can make him feel like, quote, a man, sure. and finds this very misguided thing that ends up being taken way too far. Uh, and the cult, if you want to call it a cult, sure. in the I Art think, of Self-Defense. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, Sensei's cult. It definitely has a lot of similarities to Project Mayhem in the way that they're attacking people in order to sort of bring them out of their shells and mm. prove to them that they need to step up and and be a man. Yeah. And uh, things get way more out of hand in Fight Club than they do here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's clearly a major, if not the number one influence yeah. here on this movie. Absolutely. And and I also, uh, I, I love that everybody massages each other after their uh, fight <laughs> <Very> sessions. homoerotic. <laughs> yes. But, but no, absolutely. Fight Club is, of course, on my list as well. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, all the things that you were just saying uh, about about masculinity and all that and, and misplacing what, what is going to make you better or a better man and all that. Um, and then also uh, on a certain level the uh just the the hierarchy and the rules and all that kind of stuff i mean they're one step away from saying rule number one you don't fight talk about fight club you know um yeah there, there's so much i think in this movie that seems influenced by that yeah i think i even saw one review that that made that specific like the first rule of night class is that you don't talk about <laughs> night class nice yes nice all right well, i'll go with uh my next puzzle piece which is uh another one that i've heard mentioned before and it was the first thing i thought when i saw the trailers which is napoleon dynamite which is a movie that i don't think this ended up being quite as much like it as i thought it would be it certainly goes in darker uh directions it certainly has more uh more to say like we were just talking about all that stuff with uh toxic masculinity and all that but there's still just so much awkward weirdness so many weird characters and uh such like a, a strange way of talking everybody just talks to each other in very odd ways that uh it, it just it almost feels like a bad dream in a way, watching them communicate with each other. Yeah, I also saw Napoleon Dynamite referenced in a lot of uh, articles and reviews, and I kind of was unsure of whether that seemed right to me. But it's been a long time mm. since I saw Napoleon Dynamite. And thinking about it as you're talking about it, certainly that very stilted, almost overly formal way of speaking yeah, yeah. is a big thing. Um, and I, I, I'm now remembering, is it Napoleon Dynamite's, is it his brother or his cousin that he lives with? The Uncle, Uncle Rico. Oh, oh, Uncle. oh, well, yeah, Uncle Rico is the one that I thought was the closest to that kind of a thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But there's definitely a character, is, I think it's John Grease's character, maybe uh -huh. that's the that's uncle, uncle, who's Rico. very obsessed with proving his own yeah. macho-ness when he's clearly the farthest from macho that you could possibly imagine. My favorite line from that movie is one that nobody ever really seems to quote, but it's how much you want to bet I could throw a football over them. They're mountains. <laughs> it's, just, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, maybe I, it would be worth looking back at that movie. Cause I think the, the ridiculous pop culture sort of saturation of that movie mm -hmm. turned it into this object of annoyance very yeah. quickly. 
And of course, Jared Hess never really made a decent no. movie afterwards. <laughs> no. Well, I, I'm going to go on record right now and suggest it for 2004 cult classic on Awesome Movie. Ah, and, that is a that we'll is a happens. good suggestion. <laughs> it is certainly a cult movie. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, maybe something that, that's worth another look. <laughs> so what do you got for your next puzzle piece? All right. Well, my next puzzle piece is The Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about kids doing karate. Uh, and I think more than just the fact that this takes place in a dojo and we do see uh, a few glimpses of classes with younger students that's sure. not really very relevant to the plot of this movie but clearly in addition to their uh, illegal murder activities they're also <laughs> teaching kids karate sure. and also teaching kids how to murder it seemed like at least in that one scene sure did yeah um, but more than that i think the idea of the sort of ego maniacal sensei and the dojo that exists to crush its enemies <laughs> is very much something that you see in the Cobra Kai mm-hmm. in uh, in Karate Kid, uh, and of course they're the villains in the in Karate Kid, and and in a way that that mentality is also the the villainous mentality here as well. The idea yeah, yeah. That, that martial arts should be used to destroy your enemies <laughs> and destroy the weakness within and things like that, which of course is the opposite of what Mr. Miyagi would teach. I sure. think Mr. Miyagi would not approve of sensei. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe the girl will turn into more of a Miyagi like figure. We can only hope. Yes. Let's hope so for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately my, my eighties credentials are about to be smashed that I haven't seen the karate kid in many, like literally since I was a child, but, right. uh, but yeah, I mean, of course it's such a classic of the karate world you know what i mean it's just so just such a huge impact i think on so many people right and i one thing that i haven't seen that i wonder i think from what i've read about it sort of uh calls into question that idea what i just said about the cobra kai is the cobra kai tv series Mm -hmm. where they're sort of the heroes and i think they've uh shifted maybe their approach yeah uh, as opposed to when they were fighting Daniel son, but uh, I've heard great things about it. I have I, too. I, I figured enough. I should watch the movies again first, but we'll, yeah, I've we'll never see if seen. Uh, I've actually never seen. I think any of the sequels. Mm. Um, although I did see the Jaden Smith Jackie Chan remake. Ooh. unfortunately, how was that? Let's talk about that for a while. Let's no, not. No, let's not. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to go with my next one, uh, which is the Martin Scorsese film Taxi Driver. Um, and Jesse Eisenberg's character, um, just going from, you know, more of a mild mannered guy to just life, just going in complete crazy direction. And, uh, you know, lately we've been seeing this kind of a story being used many times from, uh, first reformed and, uh, you were never really here. And, uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a great, uh, it, it, it's a great story you know, structure to, to put something on, to put a character into this situation where they're just going deeper and deeper and kind of just cracking along the way. Yeah. I wonder if there's some, uh, political or social thing in the air right now that, that makes those stories a popular, uh, topic. I think there probably is. Yeah. yeah. No, I think so too. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's interesting too, because you can take these stories in different directions. I mean, in something like like Taxi Driver uh, or, or even in You Were Never Really Here, that character goes off the deep end and just kind of keeps going off the deep end until sure. at a certain point they're past any redemption. 
Uh, or you can get something like this movie where at a certain point the character realizes that they're going off the deep end yeah, and yeah. pulls themselves back. Absolutely. And that, that definitely puts a nice little spin on it. Something that's a little more uh, hopeful in its own little weird way, you know? Right. It's weird to call this movie hopeful that right. ends with the double murder and <laughs> exactly. like putting his finger in the guy's skull, but it is weirdly hopeful. At the yes, end. yes, it is. We can transcend this uh, toxic masculine culture. <laughs> so yeah. What do you got next? Uh, so my next pick is I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Macon Blair's uh, Netflix exclusive that mm -hmm. also was the winner uh, at Sundance, I think two years ago. And it's a, a similar story about a kind of timid, put-upon person who is the victim of a crime and decides to fight back in an incredibly misguided and disastrous <laughs> way. Uh, and in that case, it's uh, Melanie Linsky is the main character who is the one who's victimized. And um, so obviously that's not a comment on masculinity, but she ends up teaming up with Elijah Wood's character who is this kind of weird loner guy who's disturbingly eager to mete out violence on people on behalf of his neighbor who has been burglarized. Sure. Um, and it all ends in a very violent way. Um, but the idea of things kind of getting out of hand where they just try to do one thing to take back the power, the feeling of being in control of their lives and it leads to another thing and another thing and another thing. And before you know it, there's dead people mm -hmm. and things that you can't take back. And I think that is what's happening here too. And also the dark humor of it. That movie sure. is funny, uh, which makes the horrifying violence in a way all that much more horrifying. Cause you're kind of laughing and then you're choking on it. Yeah. Yeah. That I forgot about that movie back when I was still, you know, catching most Netflix originals. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that that was great, and um, yeah, definitely that dark humor feeling mixed with the kind of not really revenge, but like you know, just vigilante like. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that movie is is one of the best, if not the best, Netflix original productions. Sure. Uh, if you, I don't know if it qualifies because it was. Was it finance? But it's all the, the question of whether they produced it or they picked it up. But it is a Netflix original. Sure. And it's absolutely one of the best. Right on. Um, all right. I'm going to go with my next one, which is kind of a bit of a silly one. But um, based on the, uh, the scene before uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character starts heading down his uh, journey into the world of karate, um, he goes and tries to buy a gun. And he's uh, told that there's a waiting period. And it reminded me of the Simpsons, the Cartridge Family episode, <laughs> okay. where Homer uh, tries to buy a gun. And the clerk tells him, well, actually, there's a waiting period. You're going to have to... Uh, wait a week to get the gun and he's like if i if i had that gun right now i would kill you <laughs> it just reminded me of just the ridiculousness of just gun culture and like you know and uh, it's very simple comparison right there but it just totally reminded me of it yeah i think and that's meant to be whether what is the line in this movie is you know you have to wait so that if you're really angry at someone you can't go kill them right away you have to do it three days from now or yeah something like exactly that. <laughs> and uh yeah this movie kind of i mean in a weird way because sensei is so anti-gun that guns kind of save the day in yeah. the end here it is very strange that yeah. way yeah um but but certainly that that scene in the gun store is very much and that that clerk is so absurdly ridiculous and <laughs> then later on when he gets the phone call telling him he's passed his background check and the clerk is 
dismayed that he might instead buy a knife. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. You're not having a kid, are you? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's all, that, that is, I wonder, that might be one of the most, I mean, one of the funniest bits, the most obviously humorous comedic bits in this movie is sure. that back and forth where that, yeah, that scene is very funny. Oh, it's great. So what do you got next? Uh, well, my next one is, for, for such an obscure movie, one that I actually, I think, brought up on the last uh, episode that we had, or one of the recent ones, and that is the Jesse Eisenberg film, The Double, uh, in which Jesse Eisenberg plays two people who look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And the dynamic in that movie is that one Jesse Eisenberg is very similar to this movie, this kind of shy, put-upon, nebbishy office worker who lets everyone walk all over him. Mm -hmm. And the other Jesse Eisenberg is the kind of flip-side version, who's the confident, kind of mean, take charge, doesn't listen to what people say uh, version of the character who comes in. And in that movie, because they're two different people, he kind of... Uh, steamrolls over the other meeker jesse eisenberg and gets whatever he right. wants, gets the girl that he was after and things like that but in a weird way this movie has two versions of this the character sure and yeah. the version that's been molded by sensei kind of steamrolls over the original version and and gets rid of his uh, affection for his dog and gets right. rid of his previous interests in learning French yeah, and yeah. changes him into a whole new person. Yeah, we see him in all of the same situations, just going back, but now as kind of an asshole and just totally obsessed with his new uh, newfound manliness. Right, and I think uh, that movie in the double, it's it's almost, it's like that, but split into two different people. Um, and I, I had a few options because I feel like Jesse Eisenberg, even though some of the reviews I read of this said, oh, this is a different kind of role for him. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's played the like nerd sociopath yeah. multiple times now. In addition to the double, I mean, you could talk about, and maybe this will come up, but you know, the social network mm. or even Batman versus Superman, where he <laughs> takes that nerd persona and turns it around and makes it into the, the nerd as evil guy sure sure well you know and that's funny i i kind of just had a note um it wasn't a puzzle piece per se but since you're bringing that up i'll bring that up right now i feel like this movie is just so perfectly possibly even inspired by him his his just kind of persona as an actor you know yeah. and i mean i i almost wonder if uh riley stearns like ever could have had anybody else in mind for this it just seems so perfectly a jesse eisenberg movie right yeah it does i mean i think the the cliche would be to say that also michael Cera could star in this because they're <laughs> possibly they're yeah. considered to be so similar and michael Cera has done a little bit of that mm. toxic nerd kind of character but i feel like jesse eisenberg has really owned that and yeah. has really been able to tap into that dark side of this what we usually consider an innocuous kind of character sure right on yeah and uh to the puzzle piece uh the double still haven't seen it but um it's a you know it's a, it's a decent movie i feel like it's maybe not as good a movie as the amount of attention i've given it on this <laughs> show but it is a an interesting and and a very good performance from jesse eisenberg of course Right on. Well, uh, I will go with my next one, which is a dark comedy from Jody Hill called Observe and Report, uh, which is, you know, very different from this movie. Not any of this stuff is exactly happening, but I just felt, generally speaking, the tone of it. I think these are, like, exact tone-wise matches. I think uh, that movie, which... 
um, has come up quite a few times on this show. I, I think it's just uh, a great little weird dark comedy with just weird people doing awful things, you know. Um, I, I just feel like the tone of it is just a, a perfect example of something else that that deals with characters and situations like this. Yeah, that character certainly who is also this guy who feels powerless and goes way too far in the other direction exactly. in order to feel powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really not a Jody Hill slash Danny McBride fan at yeah. all. And I didn't know. I thought I wondered if you were going to bring up their karate movie, uh -huh. The Foot Fist Way. It's kind of coming a little bit. Oh, okay. But... <laughs> well, sorry. I didn't mean to spoil <laughs> No, that. no. It's all good. But I've, I've, I've seen Observer and Report. I've actually not seen The Foot Fist Way, but mm. I thought, oh, this is clearly something that is relevant. So hopefully it will come up. And sure. Absolutely. I, I can't say anything. I'll <laughs> stop talking about it. Stop but, it, Josh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Observe and Report, I think, is maybe their most... Uh, dark and violent work although i guess vice principles got kind of dark and violent oh my god yeah, it yeah I, I never watched past like halfway through the first season a lot of people didn't but... like that show i love that show yeah like oh, i said man. i'm not any of their stuff that i've seen has only been out of professional obligation and i just am not at all a fan of their deal Ooh, that hurts but, yeah <laughs> I, it's just not for me it's not for me professional but i can obligation. see i can see how um it would be relevant here. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, what do you got next? Well, my next one is uh, the kind of thing that we sometimes say where it probably couldn't actually be an influence because most likely it was being produced at the same time. But sure. it made me think of this movie a lot, uh, especially because of Sensei's obsession with metal. <laughs> and that is the Norwegian black metal biopic Lords of Chaos, which came out earlier this year. And that's a true story mm -hmm. um, about the band Mayhem in the, I think, like late 80s and early 90s. Um, but it is, again, about these nerdy kind of loser dudes who latch on to something that makes them feel powerful. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it's black metal, but also Satan worship and the idea of being against organized religion and against uh, any kind of expression of human compassion, almost. Yeah. And they take it from something fun and silly where they're just playing music and they're painting their faces. Yeah. And it becomes very dark and very violent. And this is a true story where these people eventually ended up not only burning down churches, but murdering and one who is uh, spent a lot of time in prison. Um, so it's it's a way that you can see how this does reflect reality. And maybe this movie is heightened and it's silly and no, this kind of exact thing would not ever really happen. Uh -huh. But those feelings are real and they can be taken to that extreme. Um, and I think the stereotype of heavy metal is this masculine, <laughs> manly music, which... I mean, and I'm a longtime heavy metal fan. Yeah. Um, I just think it's so funny to see it used that way because there are so many nerds who love heavy metal. Yeah. And really, in its in its most ridiculous form, it's such a nerdy thing. It is to yeah, be totally. super into. Yeah. Um, and and I think this movie uses it well because it is more than like a real expression of manliness. Manliness. It's the nerd's idea of what being manly is. <laughs> yeah, that's really, um, that's a great point. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, I say that as a big metal fan and with lots of affection for heavy metal music. Sure. Uh, as long as it doesn't lead to actual murder, <laughs> as in Lords of Chaos. 
Well, sometimes that could be extra cool, but yeah, I think you're probably no, right. No, no. But, uh, but yeah, and Kiernan Culkin, who plays the main character in that movie, also has this kind of nerd rage vibe going for him. That is, uh, I had actually not seen Lords of Chaos, and I forgot about it. I heard about it and it sounded great, and then I just kind of forgot about it. I should watch that. It's an interesting movie. I felt like it, it was a little muddled in its approach. It also, I mean, I think like this movie, it tries to have comedic bits where you laugh at these guys for how absurd they are for taking this stuff seriously. Mm. But then because it is, in fact, a true story of people being murdered, it has to be taken seriously, and it doesn't quite get that connection right. But it's an interesting film. Right on. Well, uh, my next puzzle piece, we were just talking about it, is the fist foot, <laughs> foot fist way, um, which I also have not seen, actually. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, good yeah. job to both of us. Yeah, but I mean, come on. I mean, how could you not make that comparison? And uh, I, I could have just thrown it out of the way back then when you brought it up, but I was like, eh, I'll just save it and say it myself. But <laughs> I only have one other after this, so why not? Uh, but yeah, no, I, I haven't seen it, but I mean, the, it, this movie does have a lot of that Jody Hill dark comedy kind of vibe and Danny McBride kind of just a real just asshole kind of character, you know, and is a lot like Sensei, what Sensei is doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to say much about it. Sure. Um, but having seen their other stuff, uh, I can absolutely see that tone wise being similar and uh, certainly the karate sensei who takes himself way too seriously is a good comedic yeah there's a lot of ground to cover there that's one of those movies that's like been at the top of my list for like what a decade now you know what i'm just like i need to watch that fucking movie yeah yeah maybe i'll watch it this weekend there you go you yeah. can uh, insert your opinions yeah back in before we post i'm gonna this. redo my puzzle piece <laughs> all right what do you got next uh my next pick is mike judge's office space I was, and, I was thinking about that. Yeah, and I picked Office Space, but really Mike Judge in general, mm -hmm. I feel like is a great satirist of dudes who take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Uh, and Office Space in particular, of course, is about this guy who works this generic office job, much like Jesse Eisenberg's character does in The Art of Self-Defense. We get the idea he's some sort of accounting guy, but there's never really any sense of like what his company does or what even he does for the company it's mm -hmm. just this kind of generic cubicle farm or whatever yeah. uh and that very much is like office space and the character who feels emasculated by being stuck in this environment sure um and there's this sort of glorification of physical labor in that movie <laughs> eventually yeah. the way to to escape the feeling of being emasculated he becomes what is a construction worker yeah um which I think in Office Space is regarded as like a positive. We're supposed to like that character, I sure. think. And we're supposed to feel happy for him that he's gotten there. Um, but I do think Mike Judge has that uh, perspective of mocking dudes who feel like they need to grasp onto something to feel masculine. I mean, Beavis and Butthead their whole existence is based on the idea of feeling cool and feeling manly talking sure. about chicks that they're going to bang. That is never going to happen. And going back to heavy metal, what do Beavis and Butthead love? They love heavy metal. Oh, um, yeah. And Silicon Valley has a lot of that nerd rage stuff. Thomas Middleditch is another actor who I think could have pulled off this. You're right. This he, kind of character. He could have. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I was going to say Silicon Valley was like where I was going when right. I was thinking of Mike Judge. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and then also should be mentioned that uh, Diedrich Bader, 
who was in Office Space, was the sensei character in Napoleon Dynamite. There, yeah. <laughs> so I forgot, I've forgotten so much about Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> I didn't even remember there being a sensei in that yeah, movie. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think absolutely Mike Judge's characters, like his whole kind of worldview, it, this could very well have come from that same kind of worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Mike Judge, I don't think ever gets to the level of violence that this movie gets to. No, maybe on a on a uh, on a printer. You yeah, know? Right. <laughs> that's about was there it. was there a murder in Extract? I'm trying to remember. Extract's the only movie of his I didn't really like. Yeah, and but, I didn't really like it either. But I try yeah. to recall if there might have been a murder or just a failed murder plot. Mm. It's, I can't recall now. One or the other, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I only got one more puzzle piece. All right, um, I too only have one more. Okay, perfect. Um, and. This kind of goes along with the Napoleon Dynamite and things like that, uh, with, with just like the just weird characters and all that. And it's just kind of in general the films of Wes Anderson, um, which I know you are not a fan of. But no, uh, but that doesn't mean yeah, uh, it's not relevant. <laughs> but uh, no, just just these uh, just very strange characters. Again, like I was saying, just really an otherworldly kind of uh interactions between them um and where it just it just it just doesn't seem normal the way people seem to talk to each other not all of wes anderson's uh, movies are that way but certainly there are scenes within them and certain interactions between certain characters where uh things are just spoken in just such strange cadence and and way the way that the dialogue is written and everything just so formal and everything uh i, I think there's a lot of that wes anderson feel yeah, I can see that. I mean, and I think it, it, it's also, we talk about a lot of these filmmakers and it's taking that sort of comedic or whimsical tone and then adding this extra level of violence to it. Sure, yeah, Whether yeah. it's Wes Anderson or Mike Judge or Jody Hill, um, pushing it in a, in a further dark, violent direction. Sure. Um, more so than those filmmakers do necessarily you know somewhat related um to this puzzle piece but more just a general thought uh is there, there was a a part in there when they're talking about uh the different colored belts and what they mean. And then they mentioned that it's not really uniform among all dojos and it just kind of makes it completely pointless. And I just thought that was just so great. Like, it's just like it completely undoes it and like just adds to the ridiculousness of that. I just thought that's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, that is. I mean, <laughs> and the, the idea of this, this hierarchy that is completely point. made up and yeah. irrelevant, but they are become so obsessed with it. And yeah. I think in that scene too, the character says it's different in other places, but then he also assures Jesse Eisenberg that our way of doing it is the best. <laughs> yes, of as course. if somehow the order of colors could be <laughs> better or worse in in different instances. So funny. Yeah. So ridiculous. All right. What's your uh, what's your last one? So my last one was one I was kind of debating whether I really feel uh, confident about, but uh, I had seen again in a lot of reviews the mentions of Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, and his films. And the the one I was going to mention is Dogtooth, because mm. I feel like some of his other films have this supernatural-ish element that just really does not apply here. Yeah. Um, but Dogtooth is one where it doesn't have that. And it also is very much about creating this artificial hierarchy of things. Sure. And in that movie, it's a family and the way that they've evolved all of this ritualistic behavior. Um, and there's a whole language thing there about this, you know, these parents or father in particular, who's taught his 
grown children, uh, all of these words having different meanings from what they really mean. Um, but just the idea of this mani- like megalomaniacal leader who holds sway over people and has created this kind of closed system, which they all uh, pledge their allegiance to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in a general sense, like you were talking about with Napoleon Dynamite, the, the kind of stilted way yeah. the characters talk to each other, the overly formal dialogue, uh, the way that the emotions seem kind of drained from these interactions. Yeah. That's very relevant. I mean, it's hard to tell as much in, in like Dogtooth, for example, which is in Greek. And if you don't speak Greek, it's harder to get the nuances of the tone yeah. of voice. But certainly in his English language movies, you Killing can- Killing of the Sacred can, Deer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in The Lobster as well. Yeah. You can really get that sense of the way that the characters speak to each other and how it sounds like they're, you know, reading- some sort of prepared speech every time they talk to each other. So I'm glad you brought Yorgos up because uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer was like in the back of my mind and I just, I never thought to write it down, but that is like a perfect one for that. The way they talk, I would say that's like the closest thing almost. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And um, and I think this movie, like a lot of the stuff that's come up here, I'm like, I'm not really that into. I'm not really a big Yorgos Lanthimos fan, mm. um, especially those overly stilted films. I'm not a big Napoleon Dynamite fan. No. I'm not a big Wes Anderson fan. No. I'm not a big Jody Hill fan. <laughs> but but I really like this movie. Yeah. Um, I think it it takes some of those elements and and does something with it that I find more effective. Sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's do the finished puzzle. We'll get into any closing thoughts. We've got... Fight Club, Napoleon Dynamite, The Karate Kid, Taxi Driver, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, The Simpsons, The Cartridge Family episode, The Double, Observe and Report, Lords of Chaos, The Foot Fist Way, Office Space, Wes Anderson Films, Dogtooth, and I'm going to throw in The Killing of the Sacred Deer as well. So, got any closing thoughts on this one, Josh? I liked it. I mean, as I've been saying, I, I think it's really good. I hope more people will see it. I hope Riley Stearns will get a chance to make more interesting, weird movies. Um, Alessandro Nivola, we talked about Jesse Eisenberg a whole lot. Yeah. But Alessandro Nivola is great. Oh, he's so funny. So funny. And I feel like he's one of those actors that he's always sort of like the third build person in some movie that is not very memorable. Yeah. Uh, And this is the best thing I've ever seen from him, I would say. He is so good in this and just just such a just a maniac you know <laughs> like yeah I, I yeah i i could talk about him for a lot longer but i mean yeah i'll just suffice to say he's great he's yeah so good in this he is he's very good and imogen poots who i like a lot is sure. also very good here uh as i think literally the only woman on screen in this entire movie oh yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's that's all I have to say. And and I would say check out Faults. Also great performances. Leland Orser, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, another excellent movie. Oh, yeah. He used to be married to her, huh? The uh, director. Oh, did he? I didn't know yeah, that. I think but, so. Uh, um, right on. Well, yeah, I think that about does it. Uh, Josh, you got any other movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend? I am going to recommend uh, Lynn Shelton's Sword of Trust. Starring mm. Mark Marin and Julian Bell and Michaela Watkins. A uh, very fun, oddball sort of comedy slash caper kind of thing. Heavily improvised, uh, which is out on VOD right now. And it's a great showcase for Mark Marin as an actor. Yeah. Which I think he's been 
demonstrating more and more lately. Sure. If you watch Glow on Netflix, he's really good on that, that he's got a lot of depth as a as an actor, not just as a comedian and a podcaster. Um, but he's great in that movie. And I love Lynn Shelton. I feel like she's a really talented, interesting filmmaker. And this is her return to something more improvised after a lot of movies that were more tightly scripted. Mm. And I like those movies too, Laggies and Outside In. I think those are really good movies. But if you saw Hump Day or Your Sister's Sister, her earlier kind of looser movies, this is more in that vein. Although it's more comedic really than anything that she's done before. It's funny. It's got a great weird performance from Toby Huss as a character named Hog Jaws. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Check out Sort of Trust on uh, various VOD platforms. Oh, Michaela Watkins is in it too. I yeah. love her. She's great. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, it's it a lot sounds, of J- Jillian Bell, Las Vegas native Jillian Bell. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good in it as well. Right on. Well, what do you got to plug today, Josh? Well... We have the Awesome Movie Year podcast. There you go. Produced by the wonderful David Rosen, (laughs) uh, co-hosted by me and Jason Harris. And we're in the midst of our first season about the films of 1994. We've talked about, uh, well, we mentioned Quentin Tarantino, I guess, who didn't come up after all. No, no, he did not. But now we can talk about him. We can. Uh, Our latest Awesome Movie Year episode on Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. We've talked about clerks we've talked about the lion king we've talked about north and there's a lot of cool stuff yet to come for awesome movie year so find that on all your podcast subscription places or at awesomemovieyear.com and uh yeah please listen and stay tuned for that napoleon dynamite episode <laughs> yes, when i make him do it eventually <laughs> And I'm Jazz. And together we are the Feature Podcast, where we talk about movies and everyday life. Be sure to listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes Podcast Network. And be sure to follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at The Feature Show. And Facebook, it's The Feature Show with backslash Danny and Jazz. All right, so that does it for today's episode of Piecing It Together. Thank you to Josh Bell for being here. Make sure to go check out the most recent episode of Awesome Movie Year on Pulp Fiction. It's a good one. And, uh, yeah, I, I thank you all for listening to the show. Seriously, uh, people have been really getting in touch and letting me know that they're really loving the show, and I really appreciate that so much. If you've been listening and want to let me know what you think of it, you know, you could just email me directly by davidrosen at gmail.com or tweet at us at PiecingPod, or of course, go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be amazing. We love that you're out there listening and definitely thank you. And by the way, like I said at the top of the show, this was a three episode week, which is going to be a rare thing. We're not going to be doing that many episodes on a regular basis. Even two is more than I ever planned on. But that being said, if you haven't yet, go check out our Wild Rose episode that came out on Wednesday and the special uh, interview episode I did with Scott Evans from The Sandlot. So that is a fun episode as well. So make sure to check those out and lots of other episodes, of course, as well. 77 now? 77 plus a bunch of bonuses and specials and all that stuff. And, of course, lots more coming your way. We actually have 
God, I think we got like four or five in the can right now, and we are in the process of recording two Quentin Tarantino episodes this weekend. One on his uh, new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and one that's like a special ranking of all his movies. So lots of podcasts coming your way. You can also join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where... We talk about all these movies and movies that are coming out and share movie memes and all that kind of stuff, and no trolls allowed. None of the kind of people you would see at that dojo in the art of self-defense. None of those people would ever be allowed in popcorn and puzzle pieces. So if you want to come talk movies with some cool people, come join the group on Facebook. So uh, let's close this thing out with a piece of music like we always do. And as Sensei says... You should only be listening to heavy metal. So let's listen to a really heavy track of mine. This is Burnout from my album Head Like Fire. Enjoy it, and we'll be back next week with more Piecing It Together.